The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Eco Right Speaks for our first episode of Season 2. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I come to you enthusiastic about this second season. The program is still a work in progress, and I want you to know that we appreciate all the recommendations you made via the listener survey. Knowing what guests you want to hear from really does help guide our content. Before we get into today's episode, at the time of recording, I'm still reeling from the attempted coup staged against the U.S. Congress on Wednesday, January 6th. I can't even begin to describe how it felt to turn on my TV thinking I was just going to geek out on a procedural event and instead seeing a mob of domestic terrorists storm the halls of our government, halls that I have walked, halls that used to house our executive director, Bob Inglis, when he served in the House of Representatives, our producer, Price Atkinson, who worked for Bob in the House, halls that have carried the footsteps of so many of our guests from the former to current lawmakers to former staff members and you, our listeners, have a connection to these physical spaces that were in such grave danger as well. Even if you've never been to Washington, I'm sure this emotionally scarred you too. I'm grateful that democracy prevailed, but my heart is still heavy. One small thing that has kept me going these last few days is a poem that I chose as my January poem of the month. Full disclosure, I'm not usually a big poetry reader and have long wanted to change that but didn't know where to start. An author I follow on social media mentioned that she picks a poem a month to read every day so that at the end of the year she knows 12 poems really well. I decided that I wanted to try that. But of course, I struggled with where to start. Then on New Year's Day, the perfect poem dropped into my lap. Emily Dickinson's Hope is the Thing with Feathers. I'll spare you my dramatic reading of the poem and encourage you to look it up or check our show notes where I will include a link. As the title suggests, it's about hope, which I know I'm trying to hold on to right now, and I hope you are too. Turning to today's episode, I'm happy to share my conversation with Luke Orlando, the youngest ever elected city councilman in his hometown of Pearland, Texas. He's a fifth generation Texan, as you will hear, and he has been passionate about politics since the 2000 election when he was in first grade. He went on to study finance and government at the University of Texas, and as a lifelong conservative, he really does believe in the power of free markets to solve climate change. Luke is definitely part of that rising generation of leaders we are so fond of here at RepublicEN.org. And I didn't tell him this, but I really hope someday that we are calling him Senator Orlando. Without further ado, my conversation with Luke Orlando. Welcome back, listeners. Here we are, as promised, with Luke Orlando. He is the youngest ever elected city commissioner, right, or city council member. City councilman, yeah. For Pearland, um, Texas, which is where in your state, in the vast state of Texas? 
Hi, Chelsea. It is uh, about 20 minutes south of downtown Houston. We're right on the Gulf Coast, really. Probably about, yeah, 40 minutes from the coast. Well, I'm from New England where, you know, you can hop in your car and in a couple hours you can be in another state. So um, it's very different for me to think about just how vast um, the state of Texas is. Um, did you grow up in Pearland? Yeah, I, I've been in Pearland since I was about two years old. So I've pretty much spent my whole life uh, in this area, except for when I went to school in Austin. And when did you, when were you elected to the city council? I was elected in June of 2019, so about a year and a half ago now. Did you always know that you wanted to run for office? Yeah, I've always had this since I was, uh, you know, five or six during the 2000 presidential election. And my parents say that I stayed up until 5 a.m. insisting that I had to stay up until all the states were colored in. Um, and and they, you have one of those maps that, yeah, yeah. With, my marker, with my crayons just marking in the, the states. Uh, and of course, that election would go three weeks before we colored in like the, the last day in Florida. So but my parents were kind of struck by that because they hardly vote in primaries um, or at least at that time. And so they were, uh, you know, they, they've always just said this is something that was important to you. Right. I mean, it sounds like you were very self-driven. It wasn't that they put the the. Um, paper, whatever it was. So I said paper because my kids did the same thing in 2008 in that election. The Washington Post were in the DC metro area and their kids section had, you know, a big like coloring sheet that was the United States and you were supposed to color in, right. you know, red or blue states. And I, I think my kids were young enough that they didn't exactly do it accurately. I think one was red and one was blue and they just colored states they liked. I mean, right. it was on my refrigerator for a really long time, but it actually didn't really make any electoral sense, but um, but that's great. So is this an, is your city council, um, is that a nonpartisan position? Yeah, it's, it's officially nonpartisan, um, but in recent years, especially what we've seen is there's pretty clearly, uh, the, the parties get involved and it's pretty clear who represents which party. So um, that was actually one of the, the things I found frustrating, how d the divisive rhetoric and, and political culture that we have at the federal level was really seeping down into uh, the city of Pearland in a way that wasn't necessary or helpful or appropriate. Um, and so I, I tried to make a point to govern for everybody, regardless of their uh, point of view, but yeah, these elections have certainly gotten more partisan. You know, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to my local politics until a couple of years ago. A friend of mine was running for mayor and it's a nonpartisan position. And um, so I helped her with her social media and that was my first real engagement. And what's funny is that I guess this was my like snobbery of having worked in the Senate that I just or my day job, right? My job, I'm always thinking about federal politics and federal policy. Sure. And so to engage at that local, hyper-local level and to see all of the things that your mayor and your council do that really impact your day-to-day -day life in a way that maybe federal policy doesn't quite touch you on that, that, that sort of scale. And it just really showed me how important those positions are and how important your local politics is and how it really is something that we should all be paying more attention to. And it's a little more satisfying, I think, too, because you're, I'm assuming you're very accessible to your constituents. It's, Absolutely. 
like easier to have that kind of connection with a local lawmaker than it is to, you know, call your, you're not going to call your Senator and get him or her on the phone. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we are talking to our constituents all the time from for any number of issues, whether that's, um, whether that's a huge flood that's in their neighborhood, you know, from the, the severe rain events that we have here, or whether that's uh, an issue they're having with their cat that's down at, at animal control. So um, in, in ways big and small uh, and incredibly personal always, uh, yeah, the local government I've seen has a tremendous impact on people's lives in a way that Washington doesn't. Well, you said the magic word, which is flood, which makes my mind jump to climate change. And sure. I, that's an issue that, you know, I brought you on so that we could talk a little bit about that. You met Bob in person, if I'm correct, right? Our executive director, Bob Inglis. Uh, we connected uh, just before the pandemic. So we, we have not had the chance to meet in person yet. Excited to, to do that, hopefully soon. He talks about you all the time, Luke. So I really thought that you had already met. <laughs> I'm flattered. No, uh, no, we, we've had the chance to connect uh, by phone and by video uh, a few times. But um, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to in-person events again. So, you know, our listeners know that at republican.org, we're very focused on, you know, bringing conservatives to the table to talk about climate change. You know, we prefer a free market approach such as a carbon tax, revenue neutral, border adjustable carbon tax, but obviously open to other free market ideas as well. And just think it's really important that people are at the table. And I think you have this unique position of really seeing where, you know, I was just saying that when you work at the local level, you get to see how people's lives are really influenced on the daily. And so you're seeing the impacts of climate change probably very directly for your constituents. Absolutely. And, you know, people across the country know about Hurricane Harvey, where our area received 60 inches of rain in four days, um, which is crazy. What a lot of people probably don't know is that that was the third 500 year flood within three years that in 2016 and in 2015, we also had these rain events that are statistically supposed to happen only once every 500 years. And we had one each year for three consecutive years. And so obviously the, uh, the, the forecast and the statistics we've been using aren't working anymore because our weather events continue to grow more and more extreme. And, and yeah, it, it, it costs people their lives, it costs people their homes, it costs billions of dollars in property damage. So it's very real to us in the Gulf Coast area. So what opportunities do you have as a city councilman to, to address these issues? Or is it more that you're looking at zoning and things like that? How, how might climate change or the impacts of climate change come across your, your desk, so to speak? Yeah, so I mean, probably in terms of what we spend the most time talking about, it's on drainage. Um, and it's, it's making sure that we are building in a resilient way because the, the reality is, these flood events aren't going away. It's a matter of if and not when. Just on New Year's Eve, which was less than a week ago, um, I, I was getting calls saying, hey, we, we just received um, this sudden downpour and our, our neighborhood is completely inaccessible. Uh, and so this is something we have to live with. So dealing with drainage in terms of uh, on the prevention side, there, there's a couple of things uh, that we're looking into. Uh, one is uh, revising building codes 
to improve both energy efficiency, but also to enhance resiliency. Uh, another is financing mechanisms to retrofit inefficient uh, commercial properties that are, are using uh, a lot of energy and emitting a lot of carbon. Uh, and then kind of lastly, a, an initiative that I've um, been exploring is putting solar panels on, uh, on city facilities. And so these are all just kind of in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, small steps that at a local level we can take to address these massive issues uh, that are, are truly going to take national and um, international cooperation to, to get the job done. For sure. And, I, and, you know, we're continuing to work on that national level engagement. And we know there are others that work on the international side. But I really um, think that the local side is also important because when you take those measures to build toward resiliency, and I do think that resiliency is a word that we're seeing crop up more and more. The state of Florida had a chief resilience officer um, last year who ended up leaving to come work in the administration. And I just saw a call for the governor to try to hire her back as the resilience officer. Um, but the things that you do, for example, what you said about solar on um, city facilities is something that other municipalities can look at and say, hey, they did it and they can assess the costs, they can assess the benefits and take those steps themselves. So um, I think it's really important that we don't punt, right? We're always punting <laughs> on, right. on, on difficult issues. And so when I see communities, especially there has been, you know, an absence of leadership in the last couple of years on climate change. So where I see communities, you know, cities and states taking that initiative, I think it's a great example for the rest of us. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's important to highlight leaders at all levels when, when they're doing important work here, because this is truly something uh, that I don't believe, and I, I know that uh, Republican doesn't believe should be a partisan issue. Uh, you know, we, we have this one earth to inhabit, and people at all levels and across all parties should be invested in uh, you know, making it great for the next generation. So, you know, you are, a, you know, young uh, elected official, and I presume you'll seek some sort of higher office someday, even though I'm sure you're very committed right now to the job you have. I know people don't like to say, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. But, um, you know, somebody who's playing a prominent role, um, who has a prominent role in the Republican Party, what, how do you see yourself using your voice to build that you know, we need to keep building on the support that I think is mostly coming from your generation to try to get state and national party leaders to be more open to like finding that seat at the table on climate change. Right. Yeah. I, I think that the the young. I, I, I think that there's a, a really important perspective from young voters, and it's it, even within the Republican Party. I think among all young people. 85 to 90 percent want more done on climate change. And amongst young Republicans, it's two to one, you know, want more federal action on climate change. Um, and, and so the, the biggest thing that I keep coming back to, though, and that I relay uh, to older or uh, more eco hesitant folks uh, that, that I come across in the party is there are uh, it was a poll I saw, I think, last year that showed for that climate change was the single most important issue 
for young voters. Uh, and if the Republican Party doesn't have a solution to offer there, then we, we simply can't compete for those voters at all. Uh, and we're going to lose them forever. I and mean, we have to bring something to the table. Um, and it needs to be something that's market oriented, that is consistent with our conservative values. Uh, but, but we have to bring something to the table because it's, it's the, the right policy for our planet. And it's the only politically viable policy if we wanna to continue to win the next generation of voters. Right, and you know, we um, like to say that any, any solution that is sort of national, international level, it has to be, in order to be durable, it has to be bipartisan. And we've seen sort of, you know, the last 10 years or so in the climate space that you, you know, the Obama administration did a lot by regulation and then the Trump administration came in and undid their regulation. And you just have this like ping pong effect of we're doing this and then we're undoing it and then we're doing it again. And that's not efficient. <laughs> and so, you know, to have that durability, you really need to have both sides and that's where I do think that your generation is the one that is going to make sure that Republicans not just come to the table, you know, but, but come to the table with ideas, right? Because it's not enough to be against the Green New Deal. You have to have your own counter proposal in mind. Absolutely. And if you don't bring a counter proposal to the table, then you're, you're stuck to debate with whatever is there. And um, there are significantly better policies out there than the Green New Deal, but we have to have champions for them who are willing to, to come forward and say, you know, we share the same values in terms of keeping our planet uh, habitable and, and, and secure for future generations. Let's show, you know, let, let's, let us show you how our uh, conservative principles are going to get us there better, uh, more economically and uh, more efficiently. So Luke, do you have, will you share, do you have, like, where do you see yourself in the next five years or the next 10 years? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think a lot of people are thinking that right now as we uh, have just wrapped up the census and uh, are, are going to be redrawing a lot of the, the, the lines. Um, I am, am having a great time here uh, getting to serve a community that I grew up in. And, um, you know, I, I will always look for the opportunity to, to serve the most people in, in this community. And so I'm not sure uh, what that opportunity might look like, but uh, it, you know, the, the position I have now and the position, any future positions I might hold uh, it are truly a privilege. That's a really great and diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the census is, it, you know, it, it might make things look a little different and, um, you know, obviously, I think it would be great to see less gerrymandering as, um, a, a, as a nation, you know, moving forward. I had read that in the November election, only of the 435 House seats, that only maybe 40 of them were actually contested elections, that the rest were, you know, considered safe because of the way the lines were drawn. And I just feel like you should never be safe, right? You are an elected official. You want to know that you're responding to the needs of your community. And how do you know that if it's super easy to win re-election? Absolutely. And as conservatives, we believe that competition in the markets makes companies better. And uh, as a conservative, I also believe that competition in politics makes us better and makes us bring our best ideas to the table. So 
no, I, I think uh, I, I'm just as big of a fan of political competition as economic, both make, make us stronger as people. Well, I love that. And we are going to be watching you. I really do hope that um, you get to meet Bob once travel is permitted. He will we'll get him to Texas. It's an important state as we move you know, on nationally on climate change. I think given your location and the storms that you've experienced, but also the great strides that the state has made in clean energy it can really serve as a model to other states. And so we'll be working there and looking forward to working with people like you um, moving forward. And I think it would be great to be walking in the Capitol someday in the future and see your name outside of an office, so. I, I appreciate that, you're too kind. Yes, we would, uh, we would love to host Bob here as well and uh, show him some good barbecue in Houston. Now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. Happy New Year, Price, and happy episode one of season two. First time in 2021. This is exciting to be back together. Our first episode, as you said, of season two. Happy New Year to you as well. And I thought you did a great job, uh, especially in that first segment. Like everybody's still reeling from. The events that transpired last week, um, one foot in front of the other, uh, inauguration is is coming up. That is an exciting time uh, on the Capitol um, every four years. But uh, like you, yes, it was uh, a tough week last week. But at the same time, it was an awesome interview with Luke Orlando there in that first segment, our very first interview of 2021. Great job. I thought Luke had a lot of really good and interesting things to say from a young conservative's perspective. And he articulated, you know, the case in point, look, Republicans, you got to come to the table with something and it needs to be market-based, but we are needed or else you, we are alienating so many voters that could be brought to the table. He laid it out, I think, very perfectly and succinctly, Chels. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to calling him senator someday, and I'm so serious about that. He's so smart. He's so driven. He is, you know, I think he's poised to be kind of a new compassionate leader, or not new, he is a compassionate leader, but he is well positioned to keep growing his reach. And so, um, you know, we will be watching him and that, in context with um, the happy hour event, the Eco Right, um, the kids' happy hour, so mm. to speak, the the youth networking event on January eighth, with um, spearheaded by John Sweeney and Kelsey Grant, who also is um, conservative fellow with CCL, both past podcast um, guests in this first season of the show. They hosted. 30-something young conservatives on Friday of a very emotional week, a very big week, but to talk about climate change. And I think, you know, what we're just seeing is that young people, this is a, you know, kind of a, a repeating theme, young people care about this issue. And I love to see it. Yeah, I do too. And that's what the future is, is the youth. And that's the future of whether it be a voter, future leader, Luke Orlando is 
the, a perfect example of what we're talking about in the future because Luke is a leader, obviously is a council member with the city of Pearland in, in Texas in the greater Houston area. Um, I mean, he was in various leadership roles while he was in school at the University of Texas at Austin. I mean, he is, he's, he's the future. And, you know, you're starting to see more folks like Luke in leadership positions. And, you know, I'll just say it, never been to Pearland, but Pearland, you're in good hands with somebody like Luke Orlando serving in a local leadership role. Uh, you know, that is, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm very impressed by Luke and thought he uh, did a great job as well as you did on that very first interview of the year. Well, on that note, our second interview of the year, I definitely encourage our listeners to tune in. Um, I recorded that interview today, and so I'm pleased to announce that Denver 7 Chief Meteorologist Mike Nelson, who is also one of the co-authors of the world's littlest book on climate, 10 Facts in 10 Minutes, um, he and I have a great conversation, and, and he really is just able to bring in you know, first of all, the connection between weather and climate. And he has some great analogies that I'm definitely going to borrow in the future. And we can unpack that after um, our folks have heard that episode. But he's just a great guy, has a great voice, obviously. He's an Emmy Award winning um, <coughs> broadcaster. And and again, this short but sweet book. And we will have a giveaway on that day. So if mm. you want to get a copy of the world's littlest book on climate and you have a Kindle for those who request it on the 19th, on the day that we um, air that episode, um, we will be able to offer those for free just on January 19th. So listen, email me. <laughs> And we'll send that copy over to you. So excited to be able to offer that and to give our listeners an opportunity to, to bone up in a really easy way. Like one thing that, that he says is that he takes complex subject matter, which is weather, and distills it into like a two-minute broadcast. So mm -hmm. he's really good at taking complicated issues and making them digestible. And so that's why, our, um, like I said, next week tune in, you might learn something or you might learn some ways to help those of um, those folks in your life who are still eco-hesitant. And who doesn't love a, a cool free giveaway? So yeah, definitely stay tuned. Next Tuesday, episode two of this season drops as we come to you every single Tuesday with a new episode. And if this is your first time listening, we certainly appreciate you uh, for taking the time to download, listen, subscribe, uh, which you can do at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever is your favorite podcast app of choice. Just search EcoRight Speaks. You can also obviously go to our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. You can listen to all the episodes right there. Real quick before we get out of here, Chelsea, new members, shout out to them. Uh, a couple, a handful of new people that we just randomly picked uh, that we will shout out every single week. Andrew H. from Alabama, Mary R. from New Hampshire, Libby S. from Washington State, Nicholas W. from Pennsylvania, and Preston J. from right here in South Carolina. Thanks for signing up uh, and standing with us, which you can do uh, online at republicin.org forward slash join. It takes all of seconds, Chelsea. We need you, you know, obviously, uh, the more people that stand with us, the bigger and better uh, that we are, but uh, strength in numbers. We need other fellow conservatives to stand with us. We are calling on you. That's right. And, you know, I am still in pursuit of my 100 five-star reviews. So 
haven't asked for a while. It's so easy on Apple Podcasts to just click the fifth star, not the first star, <laughs> go to all five, and maybe even drop a one-line review, and Price will read it on the air. I will, and we will hopefully read one of those next week. It's that easy, but until then, Chelsea, Happy New Year once again. It's great to see and hear you once again, and it's great to have our listeners back in our lives, and we will have you back again next week, but until then, enjoy Episode 1 here of Season 2. Keep it real, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.